the Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free. This is Deb Harrison of PicklePongDeb.com. And here's the host of the Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. Thank you, Deb. And welcome to the show dedicated to helping you play better pickleball while having even more fun and meeting new friends who share your passion for this great sport. My name is Chris Allen. We are... Continuing our conversation this week with Matthew Blom, one of the world's top players, and the topic is the 5.0 mindset and beyond. Let's pick right up where we left off. Matthew, I was wondering if you had any kind of pre-game rituals that help get you into the proper mindset. I've never had an answer to this question, but I realize that I, I now do, and it maybe sounds weird, but my pre-match ritual is to study my life because I'm not looking for being in the zone to be an isolated pickleball experience. All the things that I study on pickleball court, I'm studying in the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I want to look at what's in the way of me making more harmonious cho- choice in my conversation, in how I make lunch, in how I decide about my business, in how I relate to my partner. Like, so my pre-match ritual is that I want to be in that state. We haven't defined it exactly what that state is, but in a state of presence, in a state of being there in the moment. So my pre-match ritual is the rest of my life. So when I walk on the pickleball court, it's not like I do something different. I'm not trying to change something like, okay, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna try and not be negative, you know, or something <laughs> to that effect. Like uh-huh. why would I isolate that to a cement block with blue co- coloring and white lines on it? Uh, only only when I'm holding a wiffle ball will I be a positive person. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think you know living in the moment is one of the one of the addicting things uh, that that pickleball and a lot of sports have. They force you to be present in the moment. Yeah. To me, that's what part of the attraction is to people that want to go to the beach. The beach, the ocean is just so awe inspiring. It forces you to be present in the moment. It demands your attention, just like a, a sunset, a beautiful sunset demands your attention right then, right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't be thinking about something that happened in the past or something that's going to happen in the future when this awe-inspiring thing is right in front of you. You mentioned all these things like a sunset or pickleball and on the beach. The real study for me is that those are excellent. I think you said the word like you're forced into being present Mm -hmm. like when you play pickleball. It's true. It's why we are attracted or sometimes addicted to certain things because they are a context, they are a, an environment or a compartment where we have more, more of that state of presence. And that is an attractive thing and it can give me an impression of what's possible in the rest of my life because life is that alive. Life is that vibrant, even in the ordinary moments. It's that we think that there's nothing going on and so we miss it all. I think about when they talk about baseball players and they say that, oh, the best players can read the stitches on the fastball. 
Yeah, I try and uh, watch the holes on a pickleball. Sometimes. That's what I was going to ask you if 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 you did because to me it's sort of it's sort of a chicken and and the egg thing. I mean, most people assume that well, they're so gifted, they have such great eyesight, and they can slow the game down to such a degree that they can actually it's like slow motion. They can see the stitches coming in. But I think that it might be the other way around. I think that it might be that they're using it as an exercise. They're trying to see the stitches on the fastball, and that gives their conscious mind something to do and allows the subconscious to go ahead and take over. I think that there might be some of that too. And I was going to ask if you uh, did things like that, if you tried to see which way the ball was spinning or, or, or mm-hmm. count the holes in the ball as it's coming to you, and if that might be a technique that can help kind of make work project for your conscious mind to do while your subconscious gets on with the real work of uh, playing well and playing at the top of your abilities. So you do do that. It all com- depends on where you're coming from. Is how I view it, and this is this gets into the realm that I was working with with Dave Lester back in in college. There's a great player, uh, Brian Ashworth, a, a good buddy of mine. I really enjoy him, and he and I were talking. This was a year and a half ago or something, and and I don't remember how it came out, but I said to him, you know, what I see could really help you is to is to slow the ball down. And he looked at me kind of confused, like, what does that mean? And I barely know how to explain it, but I know the feeling of it. And he apparently experimented with that and came back a year later and he said, I got it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, slow the ball down. And the reason I say it's where you're coming from, because yes, I think going out and watching the ball and finding and seeing the, the holes, seeing if you can see the individual holes as it comes over the net could be a great exercise. But that exercise could be done with stress and tension. And that same exercise could be done with relaxation and allowing that to take place. Does the baseball player see the stitches because he is really concentrating and like, I'm clenching my fist and clenching my face right now, like that kind of efforting mm-hmm. to concentrate? Maybe you'd be able to see the stitches through that, but I don't think that would make one a better baseball player. I think it would happen if there is a relaxation, if there's that relaxed concentration where it feels like it's an it's extrasensory or almost superhuman because it looks like you're seeing more deeply into what's happening around. That in pickleball is, has a lot to do with sight. I think of sight and proprioception of like the feeling of your body in space and being able to see that in other players. So the ball, the experience is that it slows down. Has the ball actually slowed down in, in pace? Not at all. But your perception of it has shifted so that it feels like you have more time because you are there with more of the moments. Mm-hmm. I'll see if I can make this metaphor. It's like in a movie, we are not actually seeing a continuous stream of events in a movie. We are seeing frames and there's the term frames per second. And there's enough frames per second that it tricks our minds into thinking that it's continuous. It creates the illusion of motion. Exactly. It's all an illusion in that. And there's a way that we grab frames per second in, in our visual sight too. You can watch this and observe it. And in presence, it becomes more continuous. So there's actually more frames per second. It's like it becomes high, higher definition. Mm-hmm. And higher definition means more defined. More defined means I might see those holes. I might see the spin more. I might see the ball and it begins to slow down almost like the movie became slow motion. To make a slow motion video, you need more frames per second. So that starts to happen and you can see it. And if you have that capacity, 
Imagine that you have that capacity and the other three players on court do not. You will have a significant advantage in that situation. You respond and move your paddle and get it up in the right position and do the stroke that you know how to do and you can put that ball where you want it. Um, I can speak personally. One of the things I'm always, I don't know, get a lot of comments about is like, nobody hits angles like you do. And part of that is because I have a little bit more time because of this slowing down. Some of it's my height and reach. That is an impact for sure. But there's also, I have a little more time to take that ball and cut it. And basically, one of the things that Dave Lester had me do with my tennis racket was he put a paintbrush on the end of it and had me paint on a wall, like on a big canvas. Hmm. That has been my experience ever since, that my paddle and racket is an extension of my arm. It's like if I had a very long hand and I was going to brush this ball, like with the back of my hand, just kind of stroke it and caress it almost. And that I can put spin, I can drop it, I can really power it through. I wish I had a video of this because I'm doing it with my hand right now. To demonstrate. <laughs> and it's like the ball is sitting up on a platter for me to do that with. Instead of it coming hard at me, it's like right there and I can scoop it off and place it where I want it. When I am in this state, because the greater awareness is there, not only can I scoop it off and put it where I want, but I can also see where my opponents are and where it will cause the most trouble for them. So the ball is slower for me, and I can scoop it and put it where it's more trouble for them. Now, I know that, uh, that I would be remiss, and I, I can already picture all of the comments coming in, uh, people saying, why didn't you ask him about his paddle? You have to get him to talk about the paddle. <laughs> it, the paddle that you use is really a unique shape. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about it and how you came to prefer that one over the standard uh, dimensions that most people play with. There's some design and some by chance. So I told you I, you know, I was a college tennis player. I played uh, competitive badminton. I actually lived in Korea for a year. I played in the club there. So I got to be in a country where they actually consider it a real sport. <laughs> and yeah. um, I also played uh, competitive table tennis, both here and other countries. So getting into a design like, like a tennis racket, tennis racket and badminton rackets specifically, they have a longer reach and they are set towards being long and have the paddle head out extended from your hand. So there's some of that involved where a pickleball paddle, traditional size, is more squat and short and wide. Mm -hmm. The chance, the luck part of this was that uh, my friend Prem Carnot, uh, known as the pickleball guru. Oh, yeah. We've um, spoken with Prem. Yeah. So he actually, uh, briefly, my history, I studied, I, I learned pickleball back when I was in college and then didn't play for 13 years when I was off in Asia and East Africa and really exploring a lot of what I'm talking about now, like a spiritual pursuit. And I didn't play any sports during that time because I considered competition and athletics to be not spiritual along with lots of other things. Anyway, Prem, I met through a whole other route, something called nonviolent communication. And he said, hey, you heard of pickleball? And I'm like, yeah, I played it back in college and I haven't played. And he's like, well, come out and play. And so he and his wife, Wendy, got me back into pickleball. And he gave me one of his used paddles, which happened to be a long paddle. So I saw the other ones that were shorter. And, and I played with this. And I'm like, wow, I really like this. And there, at that time, the, the paddle was really dead. It was an old one and didn't have any pop to it. But I realized that there was something it did give me, which is the best word I have for it is torque. And I don't know if it's the right use of the word torque, but 
when you, if you imagine a whip and you have a four foot long whip and you crack it, mm-hmm. and if you have an eight foot long whip and you crack that, the crack, the force, the power, the torque at the end of those two whips, the four foot is, I don't know the percentages, but it's a significant amount less than the eight foot whip. Well, have you ever, did you ever play that game when you were a kid where, where you'd all join hands and you'd be on the end of the whip? Oh yeah. <laughs> and I mean, think about it in those terms too. Think if you had three people playing that game or if you had 30 people playing that game and you're on the end, when you're number 30, you come flying off of there. Exactly. So I've thought about creating a video training website and doing videos on things and explaining a lot of these things that I learned through all the racket sports and apply to pickleball. And one of them is this action of, of whip and torque. Mm-hmm. So I'll get back to the paddle in a second. But one way I thought about it is I remember growing up, another thing as a kid is I would like to go out and pick up sticks and smack them against a tree to have them break in half. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done this? Or I don't oh, know if yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> so if you have one that's short and you try that, it almost never works. You need one that's got length to it because when you hit the tree, it breaks because the other end of it is still traveling and it has that torque, it has that momentum and and cracks through. So back to my paddle, the length of it adds that extra torque. So why I have one of the most powerful serves, why I have one of the most powerful like put away shots or overheads, all that stuff, there's lots of technique. There's a whipping action to my whole arm, my whole body. I mean, that's that would take a lot of video and explanation. I love that stuff because body dynamics are a big part of it. It's why like kung fu masters can punch through things because it's even if they're not big and bulky, they have the mechanics. So that's a part of it. And the paddle adds another couple inches on the top that carries through and has that extra reach and momentum that will add more pop to it. And it's worth it to you because you have to sacrifice some width to get the little bit extra length. And it's worth it to you to have a paddle that's not nearly as wide just so it can be a little bit longer. That goes back to someone we talked about earlier, but also training oneself to hit the sweet spot on a paddle. Like I have my paddle in my hand right now and the sweet spot on it is so worn out. I can see exactly where I hit. I almost never hit outside of that on the edge of the paddle. So extra width does nothing for me. You just don't need it because you're so accurate uh, in terms of hitting that sweet spot that it would just be wasted and it would probably grab the air more and probably slow your paddle down a little bit more. Exactly. It is aerodynamically less efficient for it. And I think most players hit well enough in the center that extra width is irrelevant to them. The other thing, and this is a this is huge, in addition to the torque, when I'm up at net, so I'm I'm six three, six four in that in that range. So I already have a height advantage. But then there are so many balls when you're up at the net that come over that if you could reach them, you could take them out of the air and hit it down at your opponent. Often for a put away, if not a put away, you can get it down at their feet. And if you can't reach that ball, then you have to back up and take it off the bounce. Well, as we know, pickleballs don't bounce very high. So that's why the dink shot is effective, is it puts your opponents on the defensive because the ball bounces so low and they have to hit it back up and usually get into those dinking rallies until someone can put the ball away. Now, why a lot of players avoid hitting to me when I'm on the court is because I have extra reach and those dinks, they have to be really accurate. Otherwise, I'm going to reach over and smack it at them. Mm -hmm. My height is a big part of that, my body position and how I can lean forward. But then I've got another two inches. Another two inches anyone can benefit from. If I could design a paddle that would still have the same uh, sweet spot in it, I would happily add another inch or two. 
it's well worth it. Then it gets to the size of like a badminton racket for me, which is well outside of my reach, but I can then get to things and stretch and hit overheads and all that's involved in badminton. So that's another big part of it is that I can reach forward and pick off balls and I can also reach side to side with another inch or two. And that means it's harder to get the ball by me. So I actually creep over quite a bit. I play near the center of the center of the court because I can still reach my line and then I'm over and I can pick off and reach balls that my partners would have to let bounce, but I can reach in and, and pick it off. So all of those reasons are why I like this paddle tremendously. And I get it specially designed by a guy named Brian Jensen. He, I consider a mad scientist of pickleball paddles. He knows more <laughs> than anyone I've ever talked to. And I, I love geeking out with him about it and the design and the material. And he knows like all about the way when you hit a ball, like how much your racket flexes. Like when you hit it off center, mm -hmm. there's actually a little bit of flexing that happens. And that's why it deadens and why the sweet spot is important to hit it on the, on the deadline center of the paddle. I mean, I have them designed by him and I have no reason to change. There has never been any paddle that's come out. All the new releases of Paddle Tech and Evoke and all the stuff, I have no interest in them. Unless they make a long paddle, I have zero interest because there's no material that I would give up this length for. I actually don't know why more players don't play with it. I think it's a lot about what other people see and so they think that's what pickleball paddles are supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in my local club have gotten this paddle because they've seen me use it and like, oh, well, maybe I should try that out. And they've they've converted. Originally, I did invite you on to talk about your serve. And sometimes I wonder if it's a little bit of an optical illusion with that paddle. And sometimes, though, I think it comes dangerously close to a sidearm serve. Do you ever do hear people uh, at tournaments pointing that out to you or thinking that maybe you are serving sidearm? Have you ever been cautioned? Is it an optical illusion that the paddle just looks like maybe it's above your wrist? I have questioned it myself. And so what I did was I videotaped it and I videotaped a bunch of the different serves that I hit and found clearly, and I would, I would let anyone videotape it if they had that question because it happens so fast, but the moment of contact is always, I'm well below a 90 degree angle. It's near 45 when I contact the ball. What I'm doing is I'm coming up so fast to generate the topspin that I hit the ball and immediately come up over it. And so just milliseconds after, I am parallel and the racket is above my wrist. But point of contact, it is below. Every time I videotape myself, I have confirmed that well below, like not even a consideration like, am I like at two degrees south of, <laughs> of parallel? No, it's like at least 30 or 45 degrees south of it. So I had that question because I'm not looking to hit an illegal serve, but I am looking to hit as good a serve as I can. Mm -hmm. And there is a slight advantage with my height there too, because I am contacting the ball a few inches higher. So I'm coming over the net, you know, in tennis, uh, you know, someone who's six, eight can really put that serve down because they're hitting it at a higher spot. But that's to answer your question, I've, I've checked it out so that I could say to anyone who would call me on it, I have video of it and you're welcome to videotape me. And if you see something different, let me know because I've confirmed it for myself that it's, that it's legal. Oh, yeah. And uh, I've always thought that, too, that, I mean, the eyes, the most well-trained eyes in pickleball are watching you when you are playing at the Nationals. Obviously, it passes their test. And so, you know, who am I watching a little YouTube video? Uh, so it's obviously, you know, a legal serve. It's just amazingly uh, forceful 
one of the most powerful serves. And I've always wondered why a serve like that isn't more prevalent, especially at the highest levels, because you know you need every advantage. You need to use every tool you have in your toolbox. To me, there's no better time to pull something out to try to gain a slight edge than right at the beginning of the point when you're holding the ball and you can do whatever you want with the ball. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to convince myself to subscribe to the just get it in philosophy and you know where the point really doesn't start until the third shot. I don't want it to start then. I want it to start right away. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to uh, lose any advantage I have, especially in a game where the receiving team really has a little bit of an advantage already because one of them's already up at the line. The other mm-hmm. one's pretty much going to get a free pass up to the line. So as the serving team, it's one of the few sports that you're actually at a disadvantage. Yeah. So I want to do whatever I can to try and, and you know tilt those scales back a little bit. Do you think that that's going to be the wave of the future? You think two or three years from now, you're going to see people take the serve and the return a lot more seriously? Well, boy, I'm really excited where the sport may go. And I, I do believe that. You're, you're speaking a lot of the things that I think about the serve. So in a way, I want to play the other side of it, which is the only thing for someone to consider if they're looking at getting their, upping their serve is that missing your serve has some, some real downsides, obviously. And there is a certain level of consistency that you'd want to have, I think, before you start adding in and you said pace and direction. There's actually five variables that I play with on my serve. I use the serve, like you said, I have the ball in my hand and it is the first shot of the game, of this point. So I'm looking to that. Can I set off a domino effect that a, a really good serve might win the point outright? A really good serve might pop a force, uh, a weak return, which I can put away on the third shot, or it might force a weaker return, which then means I get to hit a better third shot and then move in and it's set off a domino effect that every shot, myself and my partner, have a little advantage. And we can continue to exploit that advantage. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the returner has, uh, the returning team has the advantage. I've, I've thought about pickleball almost that receiving is when you're serving compared to other sports like tennis. That's when you have the advantage. Table tennis also has the advantage when you serve. If a player that I'm playing against is happy to just get the ball in, On the other side, I am happy to just rip that ball, that return. And I think that as players get better and more consistent, and especially as more tennis players come out, I see tennis players, when they bring the last, the Tournament of Champions is a good example, like Rob Elliott and uh, then Dan Moore coming out and winning the singles in nationals, two ex-college lead tennis players and they know how to hit the ball. They know how to rip it and keep it in. And so that is going to happen more and more. And then I just need to learn some dinking. So that's, I'm coming from that background too. I haven't played the sport that long in like three, three, four years in now, but I'm bringing all those other experiences. And if people can be consistent to, to hit it hard and really rip that serve and then get in some spin and variation as well, and then same on the return, I definitely see it changing. I think that, that that kind of lobbing serve to get just get it in, it is useful. What it has is consistency, is that you'll rarely miss it. Mm-hmm. And I know I listened to a little bit of the Coach Mo interview you did, and for a lot of players, that's probably the advice they need, is get your serve consistent, get it in, don't miss that serve. I'm okay with, like what you said, I'm okay to risk it to get maybe two or three or four easy, free, or points that we have the advantage on from the very beginning. And I might miss a serve once a game. 
I go for low margin of error over the net. I'm really ripping it. I might hit one long. So I have to be okay with that. And I've come to terms with that, that I will miss some for the, the level of aggression that I'm taking on it. Because the ball's in my hand. I will never have it set up better, at least at the baseline. I might get a better put away at the net because that's the position. So yeah, to your question, I think it will change. I think that it'll become something that people will study more of how can I get the advantage on the serve and how can I get the advantage in the return. Because a lot of the game right now is kind of a lobbing serve in and then a lobbing return. And also, I should say, I'm speaking from a younger player's perspective, more athletic, more energetic, like something that Coach Mo said, which I think is a great piece of advice for players with limited mobility, is that he says he hits that ball as slowly as he can, as he needs to, for the time it takes him to get to net, yep. which is a great piece of advice. I can hit a hard return and still get in net. So I'm going to do that because I'm then looking for that third ball to come up a little higher and with my long paddle and long reach and hopefully a relaxed concentration, I can do a lot with that shot and keep them pinned to the baseline or even put that third ball away or that uh, fourth ball away. Well, it'll be exciting to see what the future of pickleball holds. Hopefully our future here on the Pickleball Show will uh, have in it uh, another conversation with you, Matthew, because I really enjoyed talking with you today. Likewise. Yeah. I, I'm appreciating that you have some uh, interest and perspective, especially on the inner game side of it, that we could go to that depth because you know, you're, you're feeding the conversation as well. And I sometimes hold that in because I don't know if people are interested or, or care as much about it as I do. But that is a real passionate part of, of life for me and also then pickleball by extension. So I'm glad that came out. And then we can get into nuts and bolts and other things too. Sounds good, Matthew. We look forward to it. That is Matthew Blom. He gave us plenty to think about. And uh, if you need even more pickleball tips, tricks, strategies, go over to freepbxclub.com and download your copy of the top 10 tips from pickleball's three greatest coaches, Coach Mo, Deb Harrison, Prame Carno, together in one quick study guide that will definitely take your game to the next level. Freepbxclub.com. You can go over there right now and get your copy. Don't need a credit card. All you need is an email address. We'll send it right over to you. Send us an email anytime you like. Mail at pickleballshow.com. You can find us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash pickleballshow. Twitter.com slash pickleballshow. We keep it easy for you. Head over to iTunes if you get a chance. Leave us a five-star review. We sure would appreciate it. I'm Chris Allen. This is the Pickleball Show. And until next week, keep them low. The Pickleball Show was brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.